I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to I Was There Too. My name is Matt Gorley. This is the podcast where I sit down with people who had memorable roles in memorable shows. <laughs> uh, I'm trying out new slogans for this podcast, and that one is at the top of the not going to be it list. Today, Jurassic World. And also today, Lauren Lapkiss. Is there a more wonderful guest? I don't think there is. So much so that I regret how quickly our interview goes. I just had so much fun talking to her that uh, I blazed through those questions faster than I ever would have expected. Time goes by very fast when you're having fun. She plays one of the control room workers in Jurassic World that's dealing with the big screen and Bryce Dallas Howard and the whole chaos unraveling at Jurassic World. And we'll talk all about it. We'll also talk about what it's like to be in such a huge mega blockbuster and what it's like to audition for Star Wars Episode Eight, that's right. Well, scoop. Stick around after the episode because I'm going to talk to someone else who auditioned for Star Wars Episode Eight. Someone with such deep information they had to go off the record. And I can't reveal who they are, and they can't reveal much else either. But it all happens after the interview. And after that, I'll answer some of your questions. And some of you, via your own voice, might appear on this very podcast. Also, if you're in the L.A. area on the weekend of October 28th through 30th, come on down to Now Hear This, the podcast festival taking place at the Anaheim Convention Center because I Was There Too will be there live. The guest is going to be fantastic. My other podcast, Super Ego, is performing there. I'm appearing on another podcast. If this festival is about you seeing me, you're covered. I bet there are other reasons to go. But let's get to it. Let's get back to the show about memorable roles and memorable shows. The film, Jurassic World, the year, 2015. The role, Vivian. The actor, Lauren Lapkus. 
Okay, Jurassic World. Not to jump ahead, but is there any part of you that wished your character was just ripped apart by dinosaurs? Yes. Really? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that would have been the best thing ever. I mean, the only cool reason to not get killed is that there's potential to come back, but that hasn't been something that's on the radar. But it's me. not too late because that no, it's not. hasn't no. even shot and they probably don't even finish the script until the night before. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There, maybe there's still a chance for me yet. But. I'm holding hope, A, that you'll be called back and B, that you'll be ripped to shreds. Me right too. Now, so. I really want to be, if I'm in the next one, I want to be killed for sure. Which dinosaur would you? Um, I think a, I think a, a bunch of small ones would be really fun. Like raptor small or little birdie small? Or like, yeah, or like, well, actually, when I think about the Jurassic World killings, I feel like, the babysitter had maybe the best death in any Jurassic World. Well, one of them. But. Controversial one, too. Do you yeah. know that? Yeah. Yeah? Oh, wait, why? Well, um, our own Devin Faraci from the Canon Podcast mm-hmm. here wrote a piece about how just disproportionately violent that was for that woman's character or something. No, it's true. I mean, when I remember when we were shooting, um, Colin Jarrell, the director, brought over some, like, pages to show us of what it was going to, or it was a, actually, no, it was some drawings and some on the computer of like what it was going to look like when she was killed. <laughs> and it was like all pieced together. And so it was, it wasn't done at all, but you could see like basically that this thing pulls her and then like she gets dropped, then the thing gets her. It was like all the stuff that I didn't really know. I guess it was probably in the script, but like I didn't remember it yeah. when I read it. Um, and it looks much crazier when you actually see it. But then I had seen that and it was insane, even though half of it wasn't even there. And then Seeing it in the theater, I was, like, screaming. It was, like, such a good death. I mean, it's, yeah, it doesn't make any sense why she's, like, ripped to shreds five billion times over, but it's so awesome. So you did get to read the full script because sometimes it feels like these things are tight-lipped and you only get to see your parts on these mega blockbusters. Yeah. I When I auditioned, I had just, like, a page of dialogue that was totally out of context and I didn't know what it meant at all. And so it was, like, reporting on, like – the dinosaur getting closer, but I didn't even really understand that when I because it's a lot of jargon. You're, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't even really know what I was saying or what it meant. And um, and then when I got to read the script once I was in Hawaii when we were shooting, like basically they sent it to me that night before, and I got to re- read everything. Because you have lines like he just got five milligrams of carfentanil. Yes, which that little laugh you do that follows that is. <laughs> Amazing. What is going on behind that line? It's like you, you're joking like they're high. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you can't do that. He's They're <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> and then it's like a nerd laugh of like, you don't even know what that means. <laughs> what was your audition process like for this? It was very simple. It was, um, yeah, it was just this one page of a couple lines like that where the dinosaur was getting closer on like the radar to one of the people that we were watching. Um, but I didn't really get that. And then I just, I just did it very simple. It was very simple. And then I didn't have a callback or anything and then found out like probably a month later that I got it. And off to Hawaii? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was even months later, God. but it was very exciting to book it because I didn't expect it at all. It, I mean, it just felt like something that would never happen. So it was very cool. Yeah. And I mean, you're a regular actor, a comedian, you have regular role on Orange is the New Black, but what was it like to be in something that was... This is as big a blockbuster as you can get. It's like the Indominus Rex of movies. <laughs> yeah. So did you feel like a vast difference in the production style? And Yeah. I mean, shooting it was very cool. I, you could – like just the sets were – every little detail was perfect. And like, you know, on our desks, like all of the books are related to the movie on some level or like it's one of them's written by Jeff Goldblum's character. Oh, that's and so right. So it's like yeah. there are all these little things that you might not even see when you're watching the, the movie. So um, that was very neat. 
and just the experience of being in a movie that big. I've never, I'd never been in anything that big, and like getting to go to the premiere, all of that stuff was was like mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I hope you get in that sequel. It would be awesome. Yeah. It would be very <laughs> exciting. Right. Well, yeah. Here it is. <laughs> Were you and Jake Johnson paired together because of that kind of improv background? It feels like your scenes are livelier and looser and that that is almost intentional yeah I think so um I remember having a call with Colin when I first got or before we were going to start and he told me that Jake was the other character in those scenes and that yeah they wanted to be loose and improvised a little bit like moments of kind of humor and funniness so yeah we got to do that did you know Jake prior to this no I had never met him before that but we had a lot in common it was really fun to get to work with him because I think on the first day that we met we realized we were from the same hometown and we had kind of the same trajectory with improv like starting in Chicago and then going to New York and LA and had all done all the same theaters knew all the same people so it was very cool how big is your hometown it's um, it's a pretty big hometown. So did you know similar people? And- but he's a bit older, so oh. it was like we didn't cross paths or anything. Um, but yeah, we we were from the same place, Evanston, Illinois. Yeah. Different high schools. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Different years. <laughs> Different lives. <laughs> Different lifetimes. Um, so speaking of improv. I've read this, and I think you talked about it on WTF, about the I have a boyfriend line. Yeah. That originally you guys were maybe supposed to have a little kiss or something. Yeah. And then you played against type. Was that improvised, or how did that come about? Yeah, so in the original script, our characters kiss as like as kind of like a heroic moment for his character and in, in like a funny like underdog getting there, getting the girl kind of thing. And then it ended up that Bryce Dallas Howard – and Chris Pratt, their characters had an improvised kiss in the, one of the earlier scenes or one of the scenes when they were shooting. So it didn't really work to have those two characters kiss as well. It wouldn't really be funny if you've already seen like an right. actual hero moment. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. So yeah. um, we shot it both ways because they weren't sure how they were going to edit it or what was going to end up happening. But the it was kind of clear that like once we were doing the boyfriend version. And so we got to in- improvise the dialogue within that scene. Like basically I knew that I was going to say I have a boyfriend when he leaned in. And then we kind of improvised everything that was after that. All the like... Yeah, no, we didn't really... Well, I don't talk about it at work. Yeah, that's just not how it goes. So How was it keeping... Everything's straight because you're in – for the most part, you're in the same place except you have one rooftop scene, right? Yeah, and I did that first. Oh, so really? So totally out of order for me. And was was the big control room in Hawaii as well or was that somewhere else? That was in New Orleans. We okay. shot on um, Na- like a NASA space station in New Orleans. They have like some stages there, which they, I guess, rent out. I don't know how that works, but it's just like sound stages. So that's just a sound stage and then everything else was built for the movie or are those real like NASA control room No, props? it's all built for the movie. Okay. But – we got to get like we had to get NASA approved to go onto the lot. So it was like this whole big deal. We had like NASA like ID badges. You're NASA clear? Yeah, I guess. Or I was. <laughs> Probably not anymore. Wait, what is that? What else does that get you into? I, I don't know. I don't know. But it was very important. On the first day, we had to go like go through a whole thing and be like you know to have our photo taken. Have our we had to have our social security card with us, which I thankfully did. No one mentioned it to me in advance. I like just happened to have it in my wallet. And then we had to go like do a whole. Back they do a background check and then yeah it's oh my like God. very legit for I don't know why I don't know why it's all at NASA I I don't know the connection you could go to the moon now mm-hmm. you are legally cleared to go to the that moon. is what they told me yeah. <laughs> that's the sequel yeah <laughs> that what, that's what it should be actually dinosaurs on the moon yeah yeah I'd, I'd watch I'd watch it too um I'm I'm very curious about how certain things are shot so. Not like just the heavy special effects moments, but the smaller things. When you guys are in the control room and all of those 
like special forces, Jurassic world cops are trying to kill all the dinosaurs and they're dying one by one. And you guys are watching their like lifelines flatline. Yeah. On there. How are you being cued that they're dying? Is it just Colin Trevorrow going like Lee dead Myers dead? I think it actually was something like that. We had the screen had some actual effects on it as we oh, were really? shooting. Um, but it was like all those, it was like a grid, you know? So there were some par- like parts that had real things going in real time. And then like, or like, you know, not real time, but it'd be like the footage from the park, like the security footage happening, playing throughout the whole, like anytime we were shooting there. But then they put in all the guys dying and yeah, we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't, I think someone must've been calling it out. It was, but it was very much like, just keep reacting to it getting worse and worse and just, lots of <laughs> trying to make myself cry and struggling with that. I know, but how, yeah, actor questions here. Okay. So in, in the crying thing, A, when someone's dying but then another person dies and another person dies. How you step that up incrementally. Well, it's really funny to me because when I, when I watch that movie, I have a really huge reaction when the, like, uh, greenhouse place is broken into and the birds get out or the AV yeah. the, or atrium or whatever it's when called. When the helicopter crashes? Yeah, it must be that. But I actually – I feel like there's this one moment that I'm always – I think is hilarious because I have this really huge reaction to, like, the – pterodactyls oh, getting out or something the paddock 11 one some i don't know i don't know like what the exact i wish i could tell you the exact moment but it it's like this part where like basically so much it's funny to me because so much worse stuff happens <laughs> and like i'm basically like no like <laughs> these dinosaurs I <laughs> yeah i just watched it i was just telling yeah. you that i was they have these little like well, they have the studio rooms here, but then they have these little teleconference rooms that are the size of a tiny closet, and they're dark, and I'm in here on my laptop <laughs> Oh, I didn't realize you were in there. At one point. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Mostly I tried to get out into the big studio. Um, when the helicopter crashes, it does come back to you, and you're crying. How does that work? Because you don't even have a line coming into you to make you cry, so they just go action, and you're supposed to go like, a yeah. helicopter crashed. and Yeah, that was – I remember the pressure of that because – it wasn't scripted that I was supposed to cry. And then my character was very emotional. I mean, I don't know if I was just bringing that more like feeling my feelings when I react are more like sad looking or something. But then Colin asked me, like, okay, we want to cry on this one. And I was like, uh-huh. So then like, <laughs> that was kind of funny for me because I had to like force myself to cry. I don't think I had really ever had to cry in anything for real, except for like multicam stuff where you can be really, really broad. Yeah. So like that was a big challenge for me. And, <laughs> <laughs> like secretly, I was just like, that's fine. And like, sitting there thinking about like people dying in a fire and stuff like that. Was that like, your go-to? I would be petrified. Yeah, it really was. And then it started to work, but I couldn't get enough tears. So we'd use some um, tear stick on my eyes and that eventually made me like cry more. But um, it, it was it was intimidating. I, I have nightmares about that kind of thing as someone who, you know, acts tangentially and that sort of thing. Of I've never had to do a crying scene. Yeah. Again, that wasn't like, comedic or something no yeah right i i have since had to do some other crying stuff and it's been easier and i think i am able to tap into some like emotional stuff easier than i like i, I think i wasn't ready at all so yeah. it was like i didn't right, uh, prepare to like i've never had to do it so i don't really know what i would think about and so i was just trying to picture like really sad stuff and then now i think it's easier for me to kind of like get a little more emotional from like a real place. That's but. nice to know it gets easier. Well, yeah. And also I think it's the subject matter where it's like a dinosaur is attacking somebody. Like it's so, it's so like not real <laughs> Yeah, that it's a little different if you're having like an emotional conversation with another person who's sad or something, Yeah, but being like, Oh shit, something really horrible is happening on that screen <laughs> where you can't see anything. It's hard. Yeah. Um, 
Are you aware of Heelgate? Yeah, I am. Um, that's so funny. I just learned about that today. So for the listener, Bryce Dallas Howard's character has these stiletto high heels and a lot was made of it. Bad and good, as far yeah. as I can tell, about the fact that she has to, you know, traipse through the jungle and she decides to keep these heels on. Even though at one point she kind of suits up for adventure by like tying up her little blouse and yeah. all this stuff, but keeps the heels. And so some people had issues with that, like the Atlantic and that sort of thing. Yeah. Where do you fall on Heelgate? Well, I think it's kind of funny. I don't really, when I watched it, I thought it was more of a humorous element to the movie than feeling yeah, like it too. was like a statement or, right. or, or like anti-woman or yeah. something. Like I just didn't, I just saw, I thought it was funny that she, you know, gets all geared up and she still has the heels on. I mean, she, or like, you know, kind of looks like she's preparing for battle, but like, I thought it was amazing how well she can run in the heels. I was, I was impressed. Legitimately impressed. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, on set, I mean, I feel bad for her. She had to wear those heels in every scene of the movie, but on set in between every take she had on slippers, like what you have to do or you'll really? probably die. But uh, yeah, so she can run in heels really well. I don't how, know if I could do that. I know I couldn't. Well, yeah. I don't know. Well. Believe in yourself. I guess if I haven't tried, we, I can't <laughs> say that off. Hi, Brett. Oh, <laughs> How was it working with uh, Bryce Dallas Howard? It was great. She's so awesome. She was so nice, and her family came around a little bit. Um, Not Ron. Well, no. I would have loved that. Uh, But she was a very warm person. Like, I I feel like uh, she stands out as somebody I worked with who, like, wanted to make conversation and be nice and, like, be inclusive. And, I mean, she had been working on the movie, and she's the lead, and she'd been doing it for a while before I got there, so... It would be easy for her to just, like, ignore me, and I wouldn't have really thought twice about it. Right, but right. she was very nice. Yeah. And Colin Trevorrow, this is literally his second film. He went from yeah. Safety Not Guaranteed to this giant blockbuster. How was that? How did he feel like he had reins and everything? And- he seemed very confident. I remember asking him if he was nervous about it, like, just making small talk. Like, does this, like, feel crazy to you? And he's like, no. So, like, <laughs> <Really>? okay. <laughs> Great. (laughs) Feels like you're in good hands at that point when someone's so confident. That's good to Um, know. Yeah, but I think I would have felt so in over my head with that. I feel nervous just talking about it. (laughs) Like, I would be. Yeah. I don't know how you – I don't know. I guess I don't understand directing enough to know, like, how you know how to do something like that big. But, I I mean, there are other other people there helping you and stuff and, like, giving their point, their, like, two cents. But I guess it's just that you have to go in sink or swim because how could you possibly – prepare for everything that's on there. And now yeah. he's he's gone from an independent film to Jurassic Park to now the Star Wars Episode Nine. I know, yeah. Can he's, we get you in that? No, man. No? It's too late. Why is it too late? I think it's already going. No, that's eight going. He's oh, doing it's nine. eight. Oh, I auditioned for eight. You yeah. You did? <laughs> yeah. For, can you say for what role? No, and it was, I think it was a fake thing anyway, like what they used for the audition. I don't I think I had a it friend was. that did, was it like a fake bounty hunter kind of role or something like it that? Or a some, scoundrel lady? It was something, I was on the hunt for something, but I don't, I wouldn't even know if I would call it bounty hunting. But like it was just like, I think it was just completely fake. I think they were just like, this isn't related. You mean to, like you were a smokescreen audition? To oh no, I mean I think the audition was real, but I think the, yeah. none, nothing on the page was right. But real. who do you think the role they were looking at? You oh, for I don't Ray? know. Yeah. I don't even know. I've never seen any of that. You haven't seen Force Awakens, <laughs> <laughs> and I won't. Thank you very much. No, you haven't seen. it? I'd love to be in almost anything, but I haven't seen it. Well, I recommend you rent out one of these earwolf closets and yeah. just bring your laptop and check it out. Oh, now I'm so curious. Yeah, I don't know. I could try to go back and figure out what it was, but I think they even like. Gave us the sides in person, and then you couldn't take it with you, and it also wasn't what was really in the movie. 
Did you audition for J.J. Abrams? No, it was like the casting director. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I'm so, yeah. so curious. That was now. an exciting audition to get. Yeah. yeah. Oh, was it, were you quite nervous for something like that? I was nervous. Well, it was like a stressful day because my dad had been visiting and then <laughs> I <laughs> dropped him at the airport. And while I was at the audition, he said his air flight was the next day or something. You know, it was like some no, whole No, so like, he was just sitting there until you were done? Yeah, and then I had to go back to the airport and get it. He like went to the, I dropped him in the airport, went to my audition, then went back to the airport and then got him. And it was just like, oh no, actually what had happened was he bought his ticket. They couldn't find his ticket in the system. And it turns out he had like spelled his name wrong and the woman like refused to think that it could be him was he texting you these things while you were preparing at the yeah but i turned my phone off because i was like getting it was getting to a point where it was just like i can't think about that at all (laughs) you'll be fine (laughs) very stressful (laughs) having family in town i just had some family in town and i think it's fair to say they don't listen to podcasts so i can say it was (laughs) yeah no my my (laughs) stressful My dad will listen to things uh, randomly, so hi, I don't know. <laughs> oh, right. you mean it was a great visit. You... Well, of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> How was the premiere of Jurassic World? Was that, that was, I will say that was like one of the best events I've ever gotten to go to. Um, my brother came to town for it, and we grew up like watching the movies, so like Jurassic movies and stuff. Oh, that's so. what I was going to ask you. Like how much does this franchise, like how high do you hold it in your – I hold a pre- I hold Jurassic Park very high. I, that's like a top classic movie from my childhood, and like my brother and I used to watch it all the time. And we had the soundtrack, and we would like dance to the soundtrack. How what kind room. of dance? Did just like <laughs> no wait, you're doing like country. <laughs> no, I'm like elbow they, lifts. For some reason, I feel like there was like a broom involved. And it was like oh well, it does it does feel like sweeping. Yeah, na, 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 sweep sweep na 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 dust pan. <laughs> So yeah, it was a nostalgic movie for me, and then so getting to bring him was so awesome. And it was it like we on the way there, I remember we were like we had like a car service that they set up, and we were riding there and going around the corner toward Hollywood Boulevard. And he was like, "I'm kind of nervous." I was like, "I'm nervous too." We we're like so excited, and then we got out and like they had like at the Dolby Theater like the red carpet on the stairs, and they were playing the music from Jurassic World like really loudly and it like was starting to rain and there was like wind blowing oh and people screaming because it was like one of the biggest you know premieres possible in my mind at least and yeah. so it felt like so epic it was really awesome where was it did you say at the at the dolby theater on hollywood oh okay yeah yeah oh man that's exciting and you got to do the jurassic park red carpet type thing yeah they? and yeah. he came on the carpet with me and took pictures which was really cool and he's not an actor or anything so it was a neat experience does he still live in chicago yeah oh that's yeah. nice um. All right, I want to talk about another I was there too moment you had. Yeah. The Snickers Joe Pesci commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, you should check this out. I think if you just Google Snickers and Joe Pesci. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's there. You're at a little party and Joe Pesci is kind of giving you hell. Yeah. How was that experience? It was very cool. Did you see the extended version with Don Rickles? I did. I didn't today because I re-Googled okay, yeah. it and that didn't come up. But there, I, that there was, was the first time version, I watched it. Yeah. Which I'm like, why would they cut Don Rickles out? Yeah. It wasn't that much longer. Um, but it was very cool. That was – I had just started like booking work around that time. That was like I think my second or third commercial and that was like the only stuff I'd ever really done. So it was really, really exciting to get to work with Joe Pesci. Yeah. And he was ba- he was basically directing the commercial. I don't think that he actually <sighs> was course, the director. But he was <laughs> very in control of it. 
And he had on like big platform shoes, which I'm sure he wears for like a lot of stuff. Sorry, yeah. cut that out. Is no. that me? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I understand it. Yeah. I feel like the top and bottom of Joe Pesci are both like bookend making up for some Yeah, clothes. his hair yeah. is tall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was a nice guy. And <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really fun when I mean, he berates us. I, the audition process for that was way more intense than my Jurassic World audition. Really? I Commercial auditioned, auditions, like, they take them very seriously. I mean, I think I auditioned like four times for that very intensely. Like it was like I had to like improvise and like, you know, do the th- – I mean it was just like really, really seemed like way too much for what it is. Was it known that Joe Pesci was in the commercial at the time of your audition or were they just like, it'll be some star or something? Yeah, I think I knew it would be a celebrity because they were doing like that whole, yeah. if you're hungry, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that was very cool. And then it played during the Super Bowl, which was like a great experience for my family. I was like, just going to say the family loves nothing more than a Super Bowl commercial. Yes, it yes. doesn't matter what I've done. Yeah. I had a Super Bowl commercial once and that was it. That yeah. was it. I, was, I might as well have made it to the White House. Yeah. You know? yeah. The people want to see that. Was Joe Pesci a bit of a wild card at all, though? I mean, I've heard He some... was, like, yelly. Like, I don't really remember. I mean, this was, like, probably 2010, I think. So he, it was a little bit ago. But he was very, like, um, maybe 11. But he was very, like, yelly and, like, controlling. And uh, But it was kind of, like, everything you want. And then Don Rickles, when he came on set, like, oh. it was just – I cried, actually, when he came on set, which I was really I surprised would... by. But, like, I, every time I've gotten to work with, like, old actors that I've seen a lot growing up or, like, you know – I, it really like blows me away. Like I got to work with Betty White, and that was like <sighs> that was so important. Uh, yeah, Don Rickles came in and started making fun of everyone, and it was like just exactly what you want. Yeah, like he was just doing his thing, but he's very old. Yeah, I saw him not too long ago, and like he was not physically mobile, but he was mentally so mobile. It was right, incredible. I think that must be so frustrating to get older and not be able to do everything you could do before, but still be as like quick as you were. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, between, like, every take he sat down and, like, he had this cup that he's supposed to be holding up and it just kept, like, drifting out of frame. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's old. It's amazing, like, to think of someone working at that old of an age and being, like, funny like that. But. I get the same way with that generation, too, because it's maybe one generation before that, but I had Piper Laurie on this podcast, oh, yeah? which totally defeats the purpose of this podcast. <laughs> like, she's a, absolutely a star of the golden right, age right. and everything. And, and uh, I, you can't necessarily hear it in the finished episode because I edited it, but I was just fumbling over my words and I felt like I wanted to just talk to this woman, yeah. not be recording. I was, she was amazing. Her presence was incredible. Yeah. And, yeah. It was really something. That was how I felt with Gary Marshall. I got very like stuttery and red and like I had just read his memoir. So I was like, I'm from Evanston and you mentioned you lived in Evanston. And like he's just, he was so nice, but I was just like a total dork. It was such a like lame moment. Oh. And you're so good in Orange is the New Black. Oh, thank you. That, that was great. Yeah, I had a great time on that show. And, like, I d- it was really cool because the first season, you know, we didn't know that it would be anything like that. When I first booked it, it was the first Netflix show I had ever heard of. They hadn't done House of Cards yet. That's right. And so I thought it was, like, a web series. Like, I just, like, didn't think it was going to be, like, a big deal. I was, like, I'm excited to work, so I was really happy to get a job. And, like, that was great. But, like, I didn't think, like, people will see it. And then for it to be like – for Netflix to take off how it did and for it to be so popular was amazing. Yeah. It's really cool to be a part of that. And what's uh, what's next? And- 
Well, I'm working on, uh, I just shot a new show for HBO called Crashing, starring Pete Holmes, and Judd Apatow is producing that. Oh. It's really fun. It's all about Pete's, like, based on Pete's real life, um, when he his wife divorced him, and he ended up, like, crashing on comedians' couches and trying to be a stand-up and all this stuff, and I play his wife, so it's really fun. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so will you be recurring? Yeah, yeah. Even though you guys are divorced? Yeah, yeah. That's nice. Yeah, I'm in, like, half the episodes. And then you have uh, the characters on Netflix as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was a really great experience too. Like they basically just gave us free reign to like do whatever we That's wanted. That's the dream. And... Yeah. Right there. yeah. I know. It was very cool. I feel very thankful for that. It's so funny. Thank you. Yeah. It was fun. Well, it's that simple. It is? Yeah. There we go. This is my favorite type of episode. It's just so easy. It's like I didn't even need to keep notes. Usually I'm keeping the ball in the air. Oh man. Lauren. That's great. Get in <laughs> get in the sequel and let's do this again. That would be great. I would love to. All right. Let's hope it happens. Thank you for talking to me. My pleasure. Oh, and check out uh, with special guest Lauren Lapkus on This Very Network. Oh, yeah. Listen to Matt Gorley's episode. That's right. And I think I told you this, too, that originally I was going to do – for that, I was going to do an ep- fake episode of I Was There Too and just introduce oh, yeah. you as a fake character for some movie that never existed. But then I saw Chris Gethard had done his show, Beautiful Anonymous, yeah. as a version of your show as well. So I didn't want to steal his idea. No, no. And people actually thought that his show was just being put in my feed for the week. Because they for do a that sec- sometimes. I mean, they, yeah. obviously, if you listen to it, you realize that it's yeah. me. But yeah. Yeah. That's good. No, no tricks. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you all. If you go to this episode's webpage, I'll leave a link for that Birth Movies Death article about the strangely cruel and unusual death in Jurassic World by Earwolf's own Devin Faraci, who is just the best. And now a special short interview. I mentioned in the discussion with Lauren that I had a friend that also auditioned for Star Wars Episode Eight, and I wanted to ask her about it, but no joke, she insisted on voice modulation because she was so afraid of the non-disclosure agreement she had to sign. So much so that I won't say who her name is. I'll never reveal my journalistic sources. But also she was so, (laughs) in her defense, understandably protective of the information. There are really no spoilers or anything to worry about here except to assure you that this is an actual interview about auditioning for Star Wars 8. Enjoy. First of all, what would you like me to call you? Call me Starship One. (laughs) Starship One. Now, you auditioned for what I believe to be the same role that Lauren Lapkus just talked about in her interview. Some sort of female character in Star Wars Episode Eight. What can you tell me? I can tell you it was an interesting experience. Uh, I walked into the room in Marina Del Rey. They handed me a red piece of paper, I assume, so it couldn't be photocopied. And they let me sit there with it for about half hour, an hour, because there were a lot of lines. So, then I got called in, I walked upstairs, and I I did the audition. And do you remember anything about it? Because as of yet, you haven't said anything that I think would be breaking any rules. Do you remember the line or the role? I know you insisted on having your voice changed, so I'm assuming you've got some deep information. I remember one of the scenes was I was walking through a land, some sort of space. You were walking through a land? Yeah, like a planet. Through a planet? On a planet. Okay. I was walking on a planet, and... I was with a friend, 
and I don't remember the friend's name, but we had just met up to to do something together to be of help to one another. Was it a male or a female friend? It was a male friend. Hmm. So what did you say in your character's lines? Well, when we were walking around, I said, I said, I, uh, I can't quite remember what exactly I said, but it was something along the lines of, um, you know, we're, we gotta, we, we, we've gotta do the, um, we gotta win. Again, no information you're giving me right now seems like it's in any kind of violation of a non-disclosure agreement. Well, I signed the NDA, and they said, and it was on red paper, so I couldn't photocopy it. So, so I'm not sure why we're doing this interview then. Yeah, I don't know either. But you really did audition for this film? Absolutely. And uh, so you never got the call, unfortunately, correct? No. Hmm. Well, I guess I wasn't giving them what they wanted. But, you know, next time. There's always next time. Anything else you can tell us? Who was in the room? Just the casting director and a camera. Uh-huh. So... I better head out. (laughs) Okay, it was really great to talk to you, Starship One. I thank you, and I will forever keep your identity a secret. You're my deep throat. Thanks so much, Matt. Thank you, Janice. Wait! (laughs) I should also mention that uh, there was actually some information in that interview that was specific to that film that I think actually I could back up with leaked photos that I've seen. But understandably, my source, Starship One, Deep Throat, didn't want that information to go in. And I understand, but maybe someday. Never without your permission, Starship One. But maybe someday I'll put that up. If you think it's safe one day. Okay, and now, it's time for me to answer some of your questions. In the return of a little segment called... I was there cue. Stupid jingle. <laughs> that is a stupid jingle. Rather than read emails this time, I had people send in MP3 recordings of their questions. So don't take it from me, take it from them. Let's find out a little bit about this show, its host, and how it works. First up. Hey Matt, um, I'm Dorian from Paris. Long time listener, first time caller. I was wondering if you had any favorite movie posters um, as a kid and as an adult. Um, Also, do you own any posters? I'm sure you own a few Star Wars Revenge of the Jedi ones or something. Um, That's it. Thank you. I love the show. Bye. Well, thank you, Dorian. All the way from France. This is exciting. Favorite posters. I love those Drew Struzan posters that I'm sure everybody loves. The films, most of them are the Spielberg or Lucas films of the 80s, but he got around quite a bit. Well, that makes it sound seedy. Although maybe he is a playboy, I don't know. But we're talking about his posters. There's just something about the way he uses his mixed media, I think it is. It's partially sketched, partially painted, and then at the end he goes through with a little bit of colored pencil, as far as I can tell. And just the combination of that, and he'll sometimes use little splatters in there. I don't know. It's unmatched. I mean, there's a reason why he he's probably the most popular poster artist of all time. There's a great documentary about him. And there was even a bit of uh, an exhibit of his work up at the Forest Lawn Cemetery not too long ago. Why it was at a cemetery? I don't know. 
But I do know this. You're right about one thing. I do, in fact, have the Revenge of the Jedi one sheet that was uh, only produced in limited amounts before Lucas changed the name of that film to Return of the Jedi. I was a proud member of the Star Wars fan club when I was just a little guy. And my parents saw in the um, newsletter, which was called the Bantha Tracks, that they were offering these dead stock posters. Even at the time, it was sort of understood, like, these will be collector's items. You might as well buy them. I want to say where they were like $75 a piece or something like that. It was more than you would normally pay for a poster. But my parents had the foresight to buy two of them, one of which has disappeared through the years. I have no idea why. I've searched every nook and cranny of our garage and closets all throughout my life. I went on many missions to find that thing, and I never did. But I do have one, and it's framed. And it's at my house, and it's something I treasure. But perhaps getting to the more important part of your question, which is because of your wonderful accent, I thought you said, which is your favorite movie posture? And I don't want to let that question go solely because I actually do have a favorite movie posture. A couple of honorable mentions. Timothy Oliphant, who plays Seth Bullock in Deadwood, has a wonderful, like, unyielding Dick straight up kind of posture when he walks that I can't exactly tell how much of that is the actor versus the character, but I love it. Also, Wagner Mora's performance of Pablo Escobar in the show Narcos on Netflix. There's something about the way he walks as well that seems to me very clearly a character choice, and I just love it. But all-time best posture for me has to be Ray Fiennes as M in Skyfall when he stands up. He has this sort of like... Stiff English sway back. Um, when he puts his hands on his hips, they actually kind of go behind his back a little bit because he's got this like so much of a sway back. I kind of have a bit of a sway back too. And maybe this is just like looking for someone in my tribe or something. But there's something about the way he puts his hands in his pockets or his hands on his hips that just arches his chest out. And he's got these, you know, proper blue blood British suspenders on his pinstripe double breasted suit. Ah, come on. That's the real answer to this question. Thank you, Dorian. Hi, Matt. This is Anonymous calling. My question for you about the show is, how did you come up with such an amazing show idea? I mean, I listen to hundreds and hundreds of podcasts, and I say it's the best show premise that I've ever heard of. Um, And please, don't gloss over this. I think the listeners would love to hear the unabridged version, every detail of the story. I mean, This kind of genius idea just doesn't come along very often. So congrats on coming up with the idea, and I hope you play this and tell us uh, exactly how you did it. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Anonymous. It's a really short story. I completely thought of the entire concept myself. Um, There wasn't a single person involved otherwise uh, that I can think of. I mean, really, I don't like to toot my own horn, but this one was 100% me was not at all given to me by a, a guy who used to run the Earwolf Network and may have left that message, who is in fact the person that had this idea. And I think that's fair to say. This was all his wonderful brainchild and in many ways. And connecting it to the last answer I gave, if I remember this correctly, Jeff was kind of like my M and I was the James Bond of podcasting. I remember this day where we met at the Bourgeois Pig to discuss ideas for that Wolf Pop Network. And he sort of said, I have this idea and I want you to do it, assigned it to me. And I was very flattered and thankful because it was a brilliant idea. I wish I could take the credit, but it was all his. Thanks, Jeff. Or I mean anonymous. Hey, Matt. As a fan of yours, I'd like to know what it was like when you were there, too, as the acclaimed masked party stud in Eyes Wide Shut. Thanks for your time, Matt. 
Well, let me burst that bubble right now. Way back when I started this podcast, one of the people I wanted to get was someone present at the orgy and Eyes Wide Shut. I don't know why. I also wanted someone from the classroom in Dead Poets Society, and when that ended up happening, just out of coincidence, I also looked at that person's IMDb page, and they were credited as a masked party stud in Eyes Wide Shut. And I spoke to that person, Kurt Leitner, who was wonderful, and you should check out that episode. And he told me that that was actually a joke that his friends had put on IMDb, and he was not actually in that film. He was in Dead Poets Society, but he wasn't the masked party stud. We talk about it on the episode, and I joke that I wanted somebody to make that credit for me, and somebody did. And ever since, as far as anyone knows, I was one of the masked party studs in Eyes Wide Shut. Man, don't I wish... Wearing one of those weird pantalone masks and nothing else, but maybe just tuxedo cuffs on my ankles. Well, I've gone too far to turn back now. This is what it's like to be in my dreamland. Hi, Matt. This is Katie O'Brien. I'm from Michigan, but I'm actually living in London right now, which is pretty awesome. My question for you is. If you could be squibbed in any scene in a movie, which movie would it be and why? Keep up the awesome work. I love the podcasts and all that you do. And thank you so much. Bye. Oh, God, you don't even know what a difficult question this is. For those of you who may not know, I have this intense desire to be squibbed. As a matter of fact, I actually have a history with squibs that I've never really gone into on this show. But that's a longer story, and I'll tell it at another time. I have so many favorite squib moments from movies. I'm like the sommelier of squibs. From one end of the spectrum, you have like the super gelatinous, juicy squibs of Robocop to the almost like powdery, misty squibs of Red Dawn. And I don't, I don't even know if I could choose where I'd fall in that. But either one of those films, I think I'd like to be squibbed in. And then there's, of course, the famous Bonnie and Clyde squibbings, one of the early days of squibbings. Um, the crazy amount of squibs that James Caan had on him in Godfather. Oh my god. I think for just sheer fun, it would be the guy that gets shot by Ed 209 in Robocop. I've tried to get that guy on this podcast. I've had one of our bookers try to get that guy on this podcast. I think he lives in Texas or something, so it was difficult. Now you just got me thinking about squibs. And eyes wide shut orgies. I don't know if my purpose here is to answer questions or for you guys just to send me into some dream fugue state, but that it as much has worked. Yeah. I'll go with that 209 victim. Hey, Matt Gorley. Who would be your ideal dream guest to have on I Was There Too? The dude that gets shot in Robocop by Ed 209. If you had a chance to cameo in an upcoming Star Wars film, Indiana Jones film, or James Bond film, which of the three would it be? Oh, God. I just want you to know, out of pure respect, I'm not going to take these questions lightly and just gloss over them. I'm going to give them the weight and the heft they deserve as major issues in today's socio-political climate. I love all three of those franchises. In fact, maybe Raiders of the Lost Ark... Maybe my favorite film out of any of those franchises. However, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that franchise aside. Because it's either got to be Bond or Star Wars. Because as a, as a series, those are the ones I like the most. It really also depends on the role. 
But if I don't know what the role is, I'd be too nervous to be in a Bond film. Like I'd want to be in a part opposite Daniel Craig, but I, I feel like he's a wonderful guy and very, and maybe a little socially awkward and I would be too. And it would just be awkward. And plus I have a longer history of star Wars. That was the thing that first set me off into films. I saw that first one in the theater when I was so young that it was really my first ever cinematic experience that I even have the vaguest memory for. So I'm going to say Star Wars. I'm going to say maybe a Stormtrooper just because I love that so much. Maybe I can get pyrotechnic squibs in there. I'm tying all these answers together and maybe just have some ankle tuxedo cuffs. Stormtrooper orgy? I don't know. Stormtrooper in a Star Wars film. There it is. Let's make that happen. Hello, Matt. First time, long time. My question is a simple one. You have been hired to write and direct the official James Bond stunt spectacular. However, budget constraints limit you to only casting three villains. Which ones do you feature in the show? And for bonus points, please describe in detail how James Bond would dispatch them during the course of the show. Thank you for all the laughs. Sincerely, Wyatt in Los Angeles. Good question. First of all, I should say, this almost already did happen. Check out this episode's webpage for a link to concept art for a James Bond action spectacular stunt show for the Universal Park in Orlando in the 1980s. But this is, come on, I mean, I got this. You gotta have a classic villain in there, Blofeld. A new villain, let's go with Silva. And then a My Choice villain, Kananga. Blofeld will be piloting a helicopter that will crash into Silva, killing both of them. And then Kananga, again, just swallows a shark bullet and floats up into the air like a balloon and pops like on the point of a radar dish antenna or something. God, why don't they have a James Bond action spectacular? Maybe this has never come up on this show before, but I'm obsessed with theme park stunt shows, just like Squibbings. Someday. Stunt show? Stormtrooper orgy. ankle cuffs I gotta wrap this up I was there Q and A stupid jingle okay thank you for your questions I didn't get to all of them thank you for sending them in I may save some for a later installment of this uh, if you would like to send in any mp3 questions just include your name where you're from and your question and I may use it in a future episode if you want to get in touch with me, because you can connect me with a great guest for this show, email me at IWasThere2Pod at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can follow me at Matt Gorley on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, or at IWasThere2Pod on Twitter. Leading up to the 50th episode of this podcast, I've got some good interviews. Some already in the can, some getting worked up. All of it is just going to be a treat. So come on back in two weeks. See you then. Now hear this, is coming to Anaheim this October. It's a brand new podcast festival where you can hang out with your favorite hosts and other podcast superfans, and everyone is going to be there. Everyone? Everyone. I'm talking Comedy Bang Bang. Good morning, Vietnam! One of my favorite movies about one of my favorite places. WTF. And then at first I thought, this is fun. Then I thought, I'm going to die. And that's Louis C.K.'s work. That's <laughs> criminal. Did you think for a second, oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm dying. I'm going to die. Oh, yeah. I thought it was it. Absolutely. Love off. They say that ghosts are people 
caught between two worlds. I'm caught between two worlds. Plus, superego, how did this get made? Pop culture happy hour, spontaneation, lore, the memory palace, Tannis, hello from the Magic Tavern, and over 30 podcasts in total. Tickets are going fast, including a very limited number of intimate VIP packages with reserved seating. So get yours now and learn all the details at nowhearthisfest.com. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.